Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Hello and welcome again to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. This will be our baseball preview podcast. Hopefully we will have baseball this weekend Though with the snow and ice in the Nashville area, that is a little bit up in the air as we do this, but hopefully baseball will be played soon in Nashville and in and around the country. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt falls in men's basketball to Kentucky on Wednesday night at Memorial Gym. Your final, Kentucky 82, Vanderbilt 78. Phenomenal game from Dylan DeSue. He has career highs in points and rebounds, 29 and 16 in those. The, the Commodores fall to 6 and 11 overall, 2 and 9 in the Southeastern Conference. Road trip coming up Saturday to Alabama. Okay, Chip Frederick joins me now on the podcast, which means it is baseball season or almost baseball season. We're sitting here with tons of snow in the Nashville area. The start of the season in doubt in terms of exactly when they're going to be playing, but thank God they'll be playing baseball at some point soon, Chip. That's right. It it seems like it was just yesterday when we were getting ready to prepare for the first SEC series with Ole Miss, I think it was, and they were nationally ranked and undefeated at the time, Ole Miss, and we were some a little bit of doubt about, you know, we were 13-5 and five and heading into all that, and then now, you know, we have the pandemic, and it just, this is par for the course with snow all over the place, and you're supposed to play your opening series, but it's good to at least be talking about it, Chris, as we head into the season and give us a little relief on all that's happened since, I guess, the last time we talked. It seems like 
I, I don't even remember part of last season. It's really strange. I remember talking to you in Omaha when we when I was reporting there with I was out there watching those games after the national championship, and it's almost like the first month of the season or whatever we had last year didn't even exist. But glad to be back on the beat and talking Vandy baseball, and uh, hopefully good things are ahead and we get this snow out of here. Yeah, you make a good point. It, it was kind of like it was over before we had time to consider it, right? Because like, I think everybody's jazzed for the first weekend to see people and then you get into basketball tournament time and some of the weekend opponents, you know, they're not Georgia or Florida or LSU. And you sort of maybe take your eyes off the ball, figuratively speaking, for a minute. Uh, last year just was was done before it was over. Like you said, so much that we've forgotten. I mean, there's some things that stick out of my mind for sure, like Jack Leiter's first outing and things like that. But I think there's just so many unknowns across college baseball this year. I mean, you look at Vanderbilt, and I feel like this is the top five team nationally, but there's certainly been some trepidation because you look across the country, and so many teams that Vanderbilt's going to be playing are going to have more experience, right? I mean, three years ago or three seasons ago in 2019, uh, you know, you, you had Vanderbilt, I guess it was two seasons ago, but a lot of teams were playing freshmen full seasons that were now juniors. Well, that team in particular was a national title team, as we know, and juniors and seniors. And so a lot of the underclassmen at Vanderbilt, the freshmen, were not playing as much as they were, say, in particular Florida, right, and a lot of other schools. And so two years ago, the kids that are juniors at Vanderbilt now that were juniors at other schools, those guys were starting in a lot of places. And, and then last year – they were rounding into form and in and, and second years as starters and that sort of thing. And last year, some of Vanderbilt's guys, like Dom Keegan, for example, uh, got off to a slow start because he missed the first couple weeks with, with the health thing. So, you know, it was already a place where they were in an experience deficit. And then you had a couple of guys who maybe weren't ready for the bell at the start of last season. Now you look up, and in terms of experience in SEC games, Vanderbilt's got almost none at least on the offensive side, outside of maybe Cooper Davis, compared to the rest of the league. And I think that's the cause for concern heading into this year. Yeah, you look at what happened, you're exactly right. You look at what happened a year ago, this past weekend. We were out west playing, and you know, and Kumar Rocker loses a game early, I think it was. And then you had some things go on in that series almost 365 days ago that some gnashing of teeth by Vanderbilt fans because the expectations were so high and, and they were playing some really good teams, uh, you know, open up with Michigan and there was all that, uh, you know, rematch talk. And then you had some things that didn't go quite well that first weekend. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see not just Vanderbilt, but the, the top programs in, in all of college baseball, really, to see how much these players – uh, were affected by the layoff. You don't know how much baseball was played in the summer, if any at all. I know there was a fall season um, as far as practice. You know, it's not like when I played uh, where we had literally a fall season where we would play local colleges on the weekend. You don't get to do that, but you had some, uh, you know, the inner squads and that are, that are normal. But it's going to be interesting just to see if there's a drop-off. What, what's the period of time that's going to take for to get these guys acclimated 
into the season because uh, you look at how where it ended. It was you know thirteen and five. Uh, the RPI was at fifty eight. Uh, you know, and and there was some. There was definitely some, well, where are we going into that first weekend into uncharted waters, and how was this team going to develop? How was Jack Leiter going to pitch on the weekends in the conference? Uh, you know, what was Kumar Rocker, if he was going to pick off from where he left off as far as dominating pretty much the second half of his campaign as freshman? You know, if you remember, he wasn't just inserted in immediately, and it does take some time. So... There's a lot of unknowns for everybody, uh, and we're just going to have to wait and see how this all plays out. You got weather issues. You've got uh, to see. You know, you just want to jump in, and I know there, if there's anybody who's who, who's more anxious than Tim Corbin, I don't. I, I'd like to know because he and his staff really want to see where that where this team is and where it can go. You mentioned the summer ball. That's a good point. Just another thing where. Players missed an opportunity to develop, and I think that probably disproportionately hurts sophomores as much as anybody. But the thing that, as you ask around, you get into a lot of these these guys, especially second-year players or third-year players who really have not had a chance at a full-time role, and the question you ask is, what did you have with this one? What do you suspect? And the answer you get so often is, we really don't know yet. We haven't seen this guy enough to know. Yeah, and and it's it's going to be uh, the the feel out period the first couple weeks, and you know there's there's not going to be as many games for a lot of schools to figure that out with with some limitations on some of the schools that Vanderbilt and all these other SEC schools play because they there's restrictions on playing in the middle of the week. Some of them were playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so there's going to be some limited games there. It looks like Tim has filled out a pretty normal schedule. But, you know, your midweek pitching that normally gets some of these teams get that fourth starter, it's going to be important for them to develop as well. So it's it's not a problem that's just going to be, uh, you know, an SEC problem. It's across the country to see how these teams, uh, you know, build into where they work towards conference games. And, and uh, there's going to be a, a definite feeling out period uh, more so than usual. Well, the one thing I'm almost certain of, they've got enough pitching to get them to the postseason. I mean, even worst case scenario, say you lose a rocker or a lighter, you know, for an extended period of time, there's an absurd amount of pitching depth on this team. Now, I think if you lose a rocker or a lighter, that does change the complexion of your season. But in terms of just volume of arms and what they can do, and in terms of strike throwing, and that's one thing that they're very confident about. They feel like the kids in this group and even some of the younger kids that may not pitch really pound the strike zone. That's been a big point of emphasis. And when you you talk to people over there, I think that is the focal point of optimism. It's not just lighter and rocker at the top. It's that they've got a lot of guys that they feel like can command the zone. And that's always a wonderful starting point with your pitching. Yeah, and, and I'm curious to see that third. You know, Schultz is being mentioned as penciled in as kind of that third starter, and and you never know. I mean, it always seems to be someone who comes uh, out of the blue and 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 takes a spot that they're not used to taking or no one was expecting them taking. But I mean, it is excess of riches. I mean, you're talking about looking at the staff and the names on the staff, and it's just uh, it's incredible. And and I agree with you that. You know that they're going to have the arms to get them there, 
it, it's it's amazing to me when you when you look at Leiter because we just had a taste of him. He was two and zero with a one point seven two ERA, and he was impressive. And you know he had he had um, you know incredible numbers as far as strikeout to walk ratio. All those things added up, but you really didn't. You know, you were just waiting to get to the conference to see how he was going to handle it because we all know that's so different. And then I, I don't recall, Chris, a, a scenario even in my playing days because it's just so different. Or e- even since then and following the team, I mean, this is his swan song. I mean, this is it. I mean, it, it's it's a weird, I know we have the pandemic, and you know, but this is going to be it for him. One shot, uh, if you, you know, if you can, include last year i mean two games that he he had decisions in but he's gone after this year i mean it's it's a one-shot opportunity and you never really see that i don't recall ever seeing a sophomore eligible uh player for the draft of his stature at, at vanderbilt now i know there's been others but with the way these kids are doing it and then they're you know some kids are older when they enter school or they're taking a extra year at a prep school uh, it's unusual. So how is he going to handle? I mean, that's one of the, you know, how is he going to handle his trip? And I know he's got a great, you know, a big league mentality, having his father being Al Leiter, and and he looks very polished as how he's going to handle it. But, you know, excluding last year, which I don't even really remember, this is it for him, and you, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he handles it. So, yeah, that top half, I mean, rocker, lighter, that's obvious, but I always like seeing – the battle for that third spot. And then there's always that pitcher who comes around who is the fourth starter and is invaluable to Vanderbilt when they get into a regional or super regional. That fourth arm is always key to this team. Uh, you know, you've got a Hugh Fisher coming off Tommy John. Is it going, you know, you've got Ethan Smith and and he's got some electric stuff and he was three and oh. But is he going to be more in the closer role? So those are those things that I look for. And I also am looking for, you know, early on in the Tim Corbin years, they had a definitive closer, a guy who would go out and he was ready all weekend to come out of the pen. Uh, you know, we, I know we had a taste of it the last couple of years. Uh, and, and, but, but having replacing that, is going to be a paramount, I think, to have a dependable arm to come out of the pen in the conference, and they need to build that back up. Yeah, you look at the the depth of starting pitching. I think that's one thing that, again, when you've got Rocker and Lighter at the top, people tend to overlook that. But you talk about the fourth. Right now, I think that's going to be Sam Laboki, who was, again, outstanding a year ago, pounded the zone. I just remember... He takes them out out there at UCLA, you know, a top five, top ten team nationally, and just pounding the zone and just mowing through the lineup like it's not there. I mean, that's hard to do as a junior or senior. When you see guys do that as freshmen, you really know you've got something. And you look at he and Thomas Schultz and Michael Doolin and, of course, Leiter, although he's in a different category because he's, you know, the rotation guy that we talked about. But – Chris McElwain's a guy that they put in that category, although not seen it out of them yet. But they really have a depth of arms to where, you know, I think that once you get into postseason, they become more dangerous. And I really think this club's built for Omaha uh, because of the way that they're going to play, the speed in the outfield. They're not a power-hitting team. I mean, they've got some guys who can hit some, and they may end up being one, but I don't think it's the expectation. But – 
I think this sets up really well for postseason. I mean, you throw Sam Laboki out there on a Monday night elimination game in a regional where it's do or die. And like you saw Vanderbilt in that spot in 2013 uh, where Phil Pfeiffer beat Georgia Tech, I think, on a Monday night, if I recall correctly. And that's where, as top-heavy as they are, boy, as many aces as there are in the league on Fridays, they might be more dangerous in that kind of spot because I don't know that everybody else has a Laboki. I don't think almost anyone does in like that number four role. And I think that's the thing about them that's going to make them exceptionally difficult to beat once we get into postseason. Yeah, and you never know. You just don't know. I mean, you look at what happened with Tyler Brown, which, you know, at the beginning of last year faltered quite a bit. I mean, he had, he had that bad weekend to start things off, and he kind of settled down. But, you know, who's going to be the Tyler Brown of the staff and and, and that role too? So it, it you never know. Uh, and it's been Tim's his mode of always creating that fourth starter, as we've talked about. And people don't always, you know, it used to be in years past where a fourth starter was someone you were, you know, really trying to develop and you're playing less talented teams, you can get away with it. And, but those are where the, the you know, your fourth starter at Vanderbilt, you're racking up wins usually. And you, it's not unusual to have that fourth starter to have six, seven, eight wins. But what it does is it builds confidence when, as you said, you get into a situation, a do-or-die game, where you throw them out there and they're going to be able to handle it uh, with all the pressure that it brings. I guess if there's a question mark about their pitching, it's weekend bullpen. I don't think it's a question about the talent, right? It's how do you handle a role like closing? I think Ethan Smith will probably be fine. I think his stuff is really good. I think it plays to that closer role. You know, he's been an experienced guy who's thrown some big innings against big teams in his career already, but you never know how to hand, until they handle it and they're there. Hugh Fisher, you know, what do they get with him? I think from what I hear, it's kind of the same Hugh Fisher we've seen before. The velo is back, but one day he's pounding the strike zone, one day he's not. You know, Chris McElvain in there. Nelson Maldonado, a guy who among those freshman right-handers a year ago, it was maybe the fifth or sixth name you talked about, but I think he had a 4% walk and hit-by-pitch rate, which is exceptionally good. So, again, strike throwing there. He's a guy that throws four or five pitches. I think they've got the talent, you know, Luke Murphy being another guy that really was electric in the Saturday black and gold game, and, and you saw the scouts buzzing about that kid. But like Fisher, it's does he hit the strike zone consistently? We don't know yet. So I think there's a lot of talent there. But there's also some guys in that bullpen. And, again, I think this is where depth of arms help them, right? Like, I think if if seventh and eighth inning weekend relief becomes an issue, maybe they move Laboki out of a weekday starting role and put him in the pen if it's, if it's bleeding there a little bit. I think whatever the issue is, it's probably solved with depth. But you never have had an established closer and you've got some guys that are going to be in those late-inning roles that have been really spotty with control and command. And I think if there's one question about the pitching staff, that's where it is. Yeah, and, and just, you know, the, the, the Tyler Smiths of the world, with him leaving, there's, it's always great to know, uh, when we're talking not last year but two years ago, to know that he was lingering out there and was a guy with electric, just electric stuff who could give you the one to two innings or give you, a, you know, two batters even, 
and you can use them multiple times because we all know how the Sunday games in this conference can go. And there are some wild ones if you look back to the last several years or you can go back a decade. Sunday games are the crazy ones. It's especially when you're you're um, a team that's won the first two and that the, the opposing team's trying to do all they can just to salvage. You see wild pitching scenarios. You see uh, different strategies as far as going into a game as far as how they pitch. So that's where you need those arms where if somebody doesn't have it one weekend, you can counter and, and, and use these excessive arms. But a lot of names, and they're going to get their opportunities. Um, I just, you know, the schedule, looking at it, Chris, is just a little different than it's been years past. Sometimes early on you've had those trips out west where a lot of the development was by players, and Tim has a, a tendency to throw players, young players, into the fire pretty quick. And you're not going to get that uh, like you did in the past, but they'll just have to make do. And, and you know, the, the table's there. They, they have to play the cards that are dealt to them. There's no sense in, in, in writhing over what the situation. And, and if anybody can do that, I'm sure Tim and his staff have the ability to, to get the experience out there and give these guys what they need to, to see what they have, what it takes to, to uh, do well in the conference games. Well, the questions are mostly around hitting. And, and again, it is a situation where just not a lot of proven guys. Cooper Davis was an everyday player on that national title team until he had an injury, and they just had so many kids on that team who hit uh, that he didn't get an opportunity again once he came back. That got taken from him. Yeah, Jason Gonzalez, kind of the, not quite the same thing, but a guy that had a, I don't know, a 450-something on base percentage a couple of years ago and ended up losing the job at third uh, as Austin Martin wound up there and, and Harrison Ray went to second. So he's a guy that maybe gets a second chance. I think it's neck and neck between he and Parker Nolan at third, although I suspect Nolan's going to be their guy. You, you never know with Tim. He likes to give that fourth-year guy a shot to maybe win a job to start the season. So that'll be interesting. But you don't have a lot of proven commodities here, Chip. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is one that I, I guess was starting to prove himself, and the way that he hit the ball in the fall series, he sure looks like a, a guy that may be that next All-American outfielder for them. But then beyond that, it's, you know, can Carter Young hit the way he hit a year ago? What is Tate Colwick? I mean, he's sort of a, a scrimmage legend, but I don't know that it has translated to games yet. Well, I mean, it hasn't, but does it? I mean, you've got a lot of talent across the diamond there, it seems to me, You've got a stat catching pool, but again, it's just we haven't seen these guys do it in SEC play really outside of Cooper Davis, and I think that's the thing that nags them going into the year. Well, if you talk about the outfield, let's just take the outfield first. You know, Cooper Davis is a proven commodity, and you, you almost ha don't have to worry about him. I mean, he's proven himself. If he can just pick up, you know, halfway where he was left off in the shortened season last year, you got to love him being in left. Bradfield in center is somebody who I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing play. I mean, lots of speed, elite speed, uh, and, and it's going to be fun to watch him roam center field and, and get jumps on balls and see how he can do, but he's a freshman. Uh, and, but, you know, Isaiah Thomas, you know, his power last year was one of the bright spots. Um, you know, he had a game-winning walk-off early on, four home runs. I mean, if he'd stayed on that pace – there's no telling what he, what he would have, would have done as far as end-of-the-year numbers. 
I'm really interested in seeing that third base battle. Uh, I know that you pencil in Nolan. I've seen some other previews where, as you mentioned, that you know you're going to have uh, Gonzalez on there, but Gonzalez and how he handles coming back because it's different not playing not playing in a year and, and sitting out is there's nothing uh, i know a few guys did that when i played and it's a lonely feeling how did he train how did he stay intact um mentally and physically but coming back he's that that senior that vanderbilt really doesn't have uh rarely has and uh, and how he's able to be on a leadership role but the, I'm looking at the third base battle. I'm also very interested in the first base battle in, in with Keegan. If Keegan can respond, who he was hurt, uh, you know, he struggled in, 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 in some times early on. Uh, his numbers weren't that good at the plate. If you know, first base, third base are key battles to me in seeing how they, these kids progress. Uh, you know what you're kind of getting at shortstop with with Carter Young and what he did as a freshman. And, you know, those are the things that that are going to be interesting to follow early on, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the wild cards on this team are on the infield. I mean, with Gonzalez, I remember that opening Duke series when he's a freshman in 2018. And I remember sitting in the press box that day, and he hit a foul ball to left field on top of the roof of Memorial Gym that was kind of like that, you know, that, home run that Reggie Jackson hit in the All-Star game that year in Detroit that went over the roof. I mean, it was was almost that kind of shot, right? Except it was right-handed. And I remember like two, three innings later, we're still all buzzing about that. It was foul, but it showed what he could do. Here we are four seasons late. You know, he's a senior. That's his first game as a true freshman. I've not seen that out of him again. And I think they're – trying to, you know, he hasn't really tapped back into that raw power that, that he's had. And the swing and miss is a lot of it, but it's just been a a career path that I didn't expect. So, like, you never know. That's on the shelf there, and, and, it, and it may not come out. Again, I think Nolan is going to be their starter at third, but I don't think it's settled, or, or maybe it is settled for two weeks, and Nolan has a, a bad start, and Gonzalez comes off the bench and takes the job. I mean, you see that sort of thing all the time. And then you go to the right side of the infield where Keegan and Colwick, I would say, sounds to me like they've been their best two hitters in practice at various points over the last couple of years. I mean, Keegan was a kid that, entering 2019, I think he was the the private pick. Like, if there was going to be that one freshman that cracked the lineup and and worked his way into that and maybe passed an upperclassman, I think he was the bet. Again, that was that was 2019. That's a long time ago. Last year, I think he had a blood clot or something, so he didn't start the season, and and he plays seven or eight games or whatever it ends up being, and just really hadn't come around. And and that happens a lot of times when it's cold. But I mean, he's a kid that that was competing with that bunch of hitters on that national title team, and they kind of had him reserved, thinking that he's going to take a step up. You've never seen it out of him like they've seen it privately. Tate Colwick, um, as someone told me, he might be the best hitter in the country in scrimmages. Uh, And he's a kid who comes to Vanderbilt as a high school quarterback, and I think his focus had been more on football. And so he's coming to Vandy. He's behind all those kids. He is getting shifted around different positions. Now he's learning second. I think they feel like there's immense talent there 
but it hasn't translated yet. And I just look at that infield and, boy, you hit on two or three of those, and it really changes the complexion of the team. Yeah, and, and these battles will go on. You know, you, you hear uh, Corbin talk about the positions not owned, it's rented. And, you know, with Gonzalez, on, when, when you had uh, the situation with him, it, it was really interesting because once you get to a point in the season, you get your opportunities. And I remember talking about this with you before. You're going to get your opportunities, but there's so much depth on this team and talent that you hit a, a point in the season and it's almost like he got buried and he he hardly saw the field. And you talk about a guy like you mentioned his freshman year, he's hitting balls on on top of the uh, the practice facility into oblivion. And then he rarely saw the field. And that's just the way it is. You almost reach a point where you can only go out there so many times and the lineup is set and you get to about mid-April and they just ride with it. And, and uh so there is that pressure on this team because of there's so much talent and depth that when you get your opportunities early, you got to cash in because it gets, you know, you, you want to ride with your lineup and go with it. And, and we, we saw that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you get a guy who, uh, you know, Cooper Davis couldn't get back in the lineup. It wasn't that he wasn't talented several years ago. He just couldn't manage to get back in there. And after he got hurt, so it, it's um, it's just going to be it, it create the competition is is great. It, you'd rather have it that way to have that depth, but there is going to be you wonder who can handle it and how much pressing of these kids going in that's going to be because you realize that you know you're not going to get shots come April uh, when things get settled and they want to ride the lineup. Well, speaking of wild cards, they feel like the catching pool they've got is the best they ever have. Like Alan Espinall right now is probably their fifth option at catcher. I mean, Keegan might be their fourth if they had to have him just because of experience. Espinall, they think, is maybe their catcher of the future. But you look at the guys in front of them, C.J. Rodriguez looked really good. Now, I want to see him drive the ball more. Uh, the, the contact was a little too soft for my taste, but he rarely strikes out. Jack Bolger is the guy that probably is the favorite to be their DH right now to start the season. Again, I wonder if he may end up winning the job, but we don't see him full-time the first couple weeks because it wouldn't shock me if if they roll Nolan out at third and throw Gonzalez in the DH role just to see what he can do there. But Bolger is the guy that I think seems poised to take that role, but he can also catch. And then the guy that... I saw Friday night of the black and gold series and he just hit two home runs and they were crushed. And that's Max Romero. And I think they feel like he's sort of the wild card too. I mean, you have these kids that this sounds crazy, but going to the season, like if you said at the end of the year, Max Romero was an all sec DH or something like that, it wouldn't be the craziest thing based on, some of the stuff he's shown, or, or maybe not this year, but maybe next. But Max is also the guy because of the, the DH competition, because of the depth at catcher. We might end up at the end of the season, he had 40 at-bats. Uh, so that's another one where the range of possibilities at catcher are on that catching pool. And, and the guys who, if they don't win the job, could end up being DHs. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities there. And, and again, 
experience at, at this level almost nil, so we just don't know what they can be. But that's something to watch. I, w- I was really impressed with C.J. Rodriguez uh, the, the opening weekend uh, last year. Just, you know, he kind of came out of the blue, caught me off guard a little bit that he would be the starting catcher for whatever reason. But when he showed up and I was watching that game, he was very uh, – his demeanor behind the plate was good. I thought he – he he looked very mature in the fact that he was comfortable handling a you know you got a Kumar Rocker pitching the first game and he was very uh, calm in the way he handled it. I liked the way is he had very good hands behind the dish, so he kind of took me off guard pleasantly. And what kept him in the lineup, I think, like you said, was just being the extreme contact hitter he is. He he. Uh, rarely struck out. He was he, he and driving the ball, of course, needs to be better. But he was kind of a guy who who surprised me. If you think about the first, you know, the 18 games that they played, I was pleasantly surprised at the way he handled it. And I think he, you know, he came from a good program out west. He he was uh, he handled he was able to handle the heat, so to speak, of what it was like to come back for the defending national championship team and. We'll see how he takes off uh, with his campaign next year. Now, I got a question for you here because I'm looking at the roster. Chris, are these guys and at a program like Vanderbilt, it's really more like age. Are they going in age determined? Are they freshmen again, or how are the, how is that all being? Uh, is CJ Rodriguez considered a sophomore, or are they just is last year a, a, a do over? Is, is this? Year uh, a- you know, I mean, I, I think. They get a do-over. Now, Vanderbilt, how they put it on the roster, uh, and they do this in football, too. They don't put red shirts right. on there, and I think that's a media relations thing. If you notice in the previews that we're working on, which I hope people will check out, and there's a lot of nuggets in those that's not in the podcast. Uh, for example, on our, our pitching previews, we tell you pitch selection and velocities and things like that. So go to vandysports.com and Subscribe and help us out if you don't mind, and you get plenty of info there. But what I did on those, Chip, is I just put first year, second year, third year, uh, because it just gets so confusing when you get in that discussion. And, and and I think Vanderbilt, with how they do the roster, um, and I'm not throwing stones here, it just is. It's a difficult spot for everybody. I don't know that that lends a lot of clarity sometimes in terms of how they're listed. So I figured the easiest thing to do that made sense was just put first year, second year, third year with the understanding that I think that there's an extra year those kids get um, if, if they need it. Well, God, God help you when you have to, when you usually do a great job of your spreadsheet of who uh, throughout the year as far as depth and who's going to return. And, and, and that's going to be a, a, a mess when you try to do that. Because really, if it gets a, a place like Vanderbilt, who's draft eligible? It doesn't matter what, it's how old you are. Uh, and that's going to get a little complicated um, with this kind of free year that some of these kids had. And just for roster management, too, how are they going to handle that? Because, you know, I know that they're able to dress a few more people on the weekend, and, and I'm not sure. What is the roster cap? That, a few more this year, right? I don't it's, think there is but, one this year. No, oh, so again, no. I, I think the issue is going to be how they manage this going forward, right? And especially at Vanderbilt, where they always oversign and – that I mean that, that that roster chart that I keep, that's always tricky, but it's going to be a nightmare for the near future, which oh, yeah. is which is probably why I haven't updated it in a couple of months, just to right. to, to put off a, what's almost an impossible task at this point. Yeah. 
So with that, yeah, we left off on catching Chip. I think that they feel Rodriguez is a good defender, and they have some solid options behind them in terms of depth. But you look at this club defensively, we probably don't talk about it enough. You know, Carter Young at short is going to be one of the best in college baseball. And then you look at that outfield, which is probably the fastest they've ever had and maybe as fast as anybody's going to have. I mean, Bradfield is a legit 80-grade speed guy and center. He's already regarded as a plus defender. Thomas has got 55 scouted speed, according to MLB.com. He's a good defender with a good arm. And then Cooper Davison left. You know, he's got a center fielder's speed. And left is kind of the throwaway position, right, for most teams. But anytime you can put a guy in the outfield that's that fast, A, that's a bonus, but B, that wall in left at Hawkins Field is a little tricky to play. So having a guy who is used to that in practice, you know, there may be a spot where they win a game this year where Cooper Davis plays the ball really well and, and holds a guy to a, a single or throws him out trying to stretch a double, you know, whereas a left fielder somewhere else turns that same ball into a triple. I think defensively, between experience and left and just the speed they have and then young at short, I mean, my goodness, it's going to be hard enough putting the ball in play against this team. But when you do, you've got athletes everywhere who I think give them a chance to have a, a really a premium defense. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about, uh, you know, defensively on paper, this team is very talented in, in, as far as, position by position, and even the backups behind that. It's just going to be the the offensive production, whether they can – some of these guys can pick up where they left off, if they can – you know, some guys have been hurt in years past, and whether they can can and get their comp- – or, you know, in, in, in the case with uh, Gonzalez, whether he can bounce back after sitting a year off offensively. I'm not really worried about the defensive part. Uh, you've got a talented trio of – of Davis, Bradfield, Thomas, if that's the three, and then you got backups behind them who can interchange. You got, as you mentioned, Carter Young at short. Not worried about him. He's proven his freshman year. Um, you know, it's the corners that concern me a little bit as far as who's going to play there and how they handle it. Um, but as far as that's concerned, I'm not worried about it. It's just the offensive punch because, as you know, this league, uh, as we talk about, the pitching at Vanderbilt, it's only gotten better and better and better at, at programs around. And the SEC series is a lot different than weekend series. So whether they can swing the bat and that can translate to, you know, swinging the bat and backing it up on the defensive end, uh, you know, that's going to be the key. Offensively, the pitching defensively, uh, those two I'm not worried about. And I'm not worried about offensively, but just that's going to be the key thing because SEC pitching just continues to get better. You got great arms at great programs in Florida and LSU and, you know, Tennessee's on the rise lately making their first NCAA tournament just up the road. And, you know, there's really not, they're not holes on the weekend that you would see um, in in years past. I mean, look what's happened at Alabama. Now Alabama didn't play a, a schedule that, that even comparable to most teams, but you know, they were, they were undefeated if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, right when the when the when the pandemic hit, uh, they lost one. They lost to Lipscomb yeah. on a weekend. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, granted, we their competition, but you're having teams that got a lot of confidence last year. Ole Miss was undefeated. Uh, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. So 
it's just how they're going to hit and how that translates what what's going to be the key in in my uh, opinion of, of looking at it compared to where we left off last year. Chip, I'm glad you mentioned the schedule because that's a huge thing. I mean, Tim Corbin made a a funny point uh, that Wright State is more of an SEC team than Vanderbilt is because Wright State played three SEC teams on the weekends last year, I think. Uh, I don't know if it was all the weekends, all of them, but I know at least two of them were. That's one more SEC series than Vanderbilt played a year ago. You look at Illinois-Chicago. Illinois-Chicago and Wright State are the two favorites to win the Horizon, which, you know, that's not a strong league, but those are two pretty decent programs year in and year out that aren't gimmies on weekends. You've got that Oklahoma State series as OSU opens a new ballpark. OSU's got a lot more weekend conference experience than does Vanderbilt and a team that's been lower half of the top 25, according to several people. Uh, you open against South Carolina, everybody's choice for an NCAA regional team. You go to Missouri. Uh, I spoke with someone at Missouri this week. That's a team that's picked sixth or seventh in the East, but they think their pitching is as deep as it's been in a while, and they've been good on the Hill recently. You've got a road trip to LSU, which is consensus national top 25. You've got a series with Georgia, which has been tough recently. They're a team that most people think is a regional team. Tennessee, consensus top 25 team. Uh, consensus two seed in a regional preseason. Mississippi State, top 10 team nationally. That's a Nashville. At Florida, there have been six polls. The Gators have been number one in every single one of them so far. you got the midweek game with Louisville, which is preseason top 10. You've got Alabama. Uh, May 7th through the 9th, Alabama, I think, might be the most underrated team in the SEC. That's a bunch with a lot of fourth and fifth-year players that, as you said, was really good a year ago. Ole Miss, top five team preseason. That's in Oxford. And then Kentucky coming here, that's a team with two or three bats that are potentially all-conference and even all-American caliber players. Now, the pitching will be the question, but they got a new pitching coach and have got a couple of arms there. I mean, there really just aren't any breaks on this schedule. You might argue the four-game series with Georgia State, uh, but that coach has got that program headed in a better direction. I think that's where a lot of the trepidation lies. It's not that this team isn't talented, but it's a tough schedule and a lot of these teams have got a lot more experience than do the Commodores, and I'll guarantee you there's going to be a weekend or two where that bites them in the butt a little bit, and people are going, well, what's going on here? Well, what will be going on is that you're seeing a team that's getting experience, playing some teams that, frankly, have a lot more and are good to begin with, and I think that's what scares everyone over there. Yeah, you can't get too up and down here the first month or so, just like last year. I think when you look at the end of the season before things kind of, well, things did stop uh, uh, to a halt at 13 and five. And you would say, well, you know, that's not where uh, most Vanderbilt fans thought they would be. But I think this team is sort of, if you recall on an uptick there heading into the Ole Miss series, the first one um, in that campaign, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of holes in the schedule. You're right. I mean, Wright state, uh, Illinois, you know, Illinois Chicago is always on the schedule. They're a tough team and a tough out. Interesting to see Memphis jump back on there, but they they haven't been as strong lately. But uh, just as a note, that's the first time Memphis has been on the schedule in a long, long time. I think uh, maybe 
back to when they played in Jackson that time when they met halfway. If, if correct me if I'm wrong, but Vanderbilt used to play them quite a bit, and it looks like that series is at least picked up, or maybe was a one-time thing. And you know, Oklahoma State speaks for itself. You know, uh, friends of mine asked me, former players. You know, it looks like we swap. We the the ones if you're thinking about who we do not play, it looks like it's Auburn and Arkansas uh, this year. And you pick back up with Alabama and LSU, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, it, it doesn't really matter in this league who you pick up and who you don't. I mean, in some years that's uh, some people play that out a little more than than they should. But up and down, uh, it, it's a it's a very challenging schedule even with the midweek games um you know here locally with Lipscomb and Belmont uh those are those are tough outs because that's kind of like their you know world series so to speak they get to play somebody Vanderbilt's caliber so tough you know tough trip to LSU is what I, I looked late in an early April uh, but up and down it's not easy I mean it's it, you're going to have to to uh, you know, ride your your pitching staff and 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 hope they'll get timely hitting and play great defense as normal. But it, things are going to be only, it's just only improving in the SEC. I did a I did a uh, little exercise um, a week or two ago. I was just kind of trolling around, looking at some websites of some facilities around the conference, baseball facilities, and you know there are teams who have really upgraded. UT's uh, facility, their indoor facility and their locker room, they've recently added to that. And it looks really, really nice. Uh, you look at Auburn's, what they've done, and, and Ole Miss is, is first class. So uh, these teams are able to uh, continue to attract the, the national talent uh, to go to their programs. And you had to do it with facilities and, and showing from the administration that you care about baseball, then it's a, a primary focus. And if you if you ever have a chance to look at some of these places from where they were five years ago, and it's just you know it, it seems like a lot of one upping one school will do it and they, you know we gotta we gotta upgrade our player lounge or we've gotta upgrade our hitting tunnels or our pitching facilities, our indoor uh, spaces and that's what they've done and that just it continues to track, which I'll say it you know with the utmost confidence is still the best college baseball league in the country and and uh continues to be so and it continues to grow yeah and it will continue to be so for all the reasons you said but i'm looking back at the schedule last year and one thing sticks out i know they didn't play the toughest slate and 13 and 5 was i guess a little underwhelming for where people had pegged them but you look at that they're one and four in one run games you know you flip a couple of those over and thirteen and five becomes fifteen and three, and it probably looks a little bit differently. But you look at the kind of team they were, and again, the schedule wasn't the greatest, but they outscore opponents one hundred four to forty two last year. So that's a bunch that really was doing a, a wonderful job of of holding opponents down. The bats hadn't come around yet, and if you're looking for, you know, what can this team be, right? I think one of the best ways to do it would be say, well, let's let's look at where they left off and what they were. Now, now granted, that comes with losing Austin Martin. Uh, and it comes with losing your starting second baseman and catcher uh, in Ty Duvall and Harrison Ray. Or I guess Duvall might have been the DH, but in any case, uh, a key guy. You know, you lose Brown at the back end of the bullpen, who frankly wasn't pitching that well but I think would have come around. And, of course, you lose Mason Hickman, who was dominant. But the point is, I don't think the pitching will be much different. 
the offense will be the issue. But but last year, you know, that was a team that even though I, I think that five losses was maybe one or two more than you hoped to see, uh, the games they lose were close. And then you look at the shutouts. I mean, they get one against two against South Alabama, one against UIC, one against Evansville. Um, you know, give up one run to Hawaii uh, on a, a Sunday game. I mean, these guys, the arms were really holding teams down. Um, and I think, again, however you slice it, whatever the risk is, I'm just really going to be shocked if this team isn't hosting somebody somewhere once we get to June. Right. And, and looking at last year's results, what, what bothered me more just from an observation was that opening weekend uh, how they just uncharacteristically were making some mistakes that they normally didn't make. And I know it was early. And then you had the Tyler Brown um, kind of where he didn't, he wasn't successful that first weekend in the, in the loss to Michigan and then the Cal Poly loss, but they strung together some wins there. As you said, it really didn't bother me that Los Angeles trip when they lost two one, one games against UCLA and USC, because those teams are, were, were very talented and it was just kind of a, uh, not I'm saying fluky, but it was it was tough. I mean, every game was a one-run game out there. So that's not what, um, when you think of mentally about your taste in your mouth as far as the, that season and how they ended up. Because a lot of those players are back, of course, as we know, uh, minus the, the several that you mentioned. But it's you've got some guys who got some experience early, and we'll see how that translates. But uh, you know, up and down, if, if we're talking schedule, uh, I, I would think, you know, even though you have the UCLA, USC, TCU, uh, three games in a row, which is extremely talent challenging when you have the number six team at the time with UCLA and number 22 TCU, I think overall this schedule uh, this year is much more challenging, as you mentioned, for the reasons as far as you know, the UICs of the world and Wright States that consistently playing those three game series. And then you got to go to Oklahoma state in their backyard, which is going to be a challenge in itself. So uh, it's, it's a good thing. I think, I don't think, you know, Tim Corbin's not one to, to shy away from competition and it's, it's only going to hurt their RP not only help their RPI and their strength of schedule. So I don't think it's anything to worry about and it'll give a good test to, uh, that frontline pitchers to see how they stack up. Chip, we covered tons of ground today. Anything we didn't touch on that's worth a mention? No, I just I, I'm uh, curious to see. This is um, the first couple weeks of the season are always crazy as far as the weather here in Nashville. I I, I played in the snow myself. Uh, I remember we played uh, one or two games during my career in the snow. And you know, uh, if, if if that staff can get that field ready, they'll play. But it comes a point where you don't want it to be, you know, you can't be slipping and sliding out there. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to see. Hopefully this weather will pass. It'll get a little warmer then get some games in. Because I know that they're just itching to get out there. But how this team handles it, I'm not worried about them mentally. Because they've been out there. They were out there in the fall when it got a little cooler They've been training out there, uh, probably out there today doing something. I don't know how. If they're shoveling snow, maybe. But uh, that's always, you know, you look at Miami and Florida playing this weekend coming up where they have the luxury of it being 70 degrees and they're playing a three-game set. You don't have that luxury here. So how these guys, I'm not worried about them mentally again, but 
you want to be careful if it's too cold, you're worried about hurting arms, you know, this early in the season. And, uh, you know, as, as Kyle Peterson said the other day, it's, and it, this rings true. I saw him do a tweet uh, telling pitchers this opening weekend, especially in this cold wave in the South, said, definitely pitch on the inner third of the plate. And if anybody knows knows what he means by that, it's just if you're a pitcher, you want to definitely control that inside corner of the plate because those batters do not like in this cold uh, hitting inside pitches. So you want to dominate that. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting with uh, his comment. But that's true. If you're a pitcher, it, it, we'll see how that works as far as uh, if teams playing in this cold, if they're able to, how the hitting is going to be able to do. Because it's just no fun. Uh, you see a lot of games that are sloppy, but you see a lot of games where the pitching dominates early um, because it's just so cold. Chip, uh, probably not a weekend. A lot of people are looking to buy a house with the weather, but I know you run a thriving real estate business. I wanted to give you a minute to tell the folks out there if they have any real estate needs about what you guys do. Sure, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, Frederick and Clark Realty is our company, and we've been around for over, goodness, 55 years here in Nashville. We've got two locations in Brentwood and Maryland Farms area, and then in Green Hills, uh, where I'm located. But uh, we have a, a, a bullpen, I call a bullpen of great closers and agents. Of uh, We're up to like 160 agents now in two locations. But uh, we are a firm that is uh, committed to exceptional service. We're we're not the biggest, but we've been around just as long as anybody, and we we take care of our customers. We have a lot of research that we can provide them in this very hot market. It's definitely still a seller's market. There's houses that are uh, being um, picked over and battled for each and every day, and you need to have someone on your team, an agent, a representative to help you go through the obstacles as far as making a purchase if you're trying to and making your contract and your offer better than the competition and that's where our experienced agents come through you know we don't have a lot of agents who do this part-time we we have our our 160 agents are full-time professionals and that's what we uh take pride in so whether you're selling on the sell side uh and want to take advantage of the the, the market here in nashville which is continues to grow or you're on the buy side, we can help. And if you just give me a call at the office, 615-327-4800, and check us out on the web at frederickandclark.com, we'd be happy to talk to uh, anyone about uh, their real estate needs. We're Vanderbilt folks. We've been around for uh, we uh, the three principals in the firm are all Vanderbilt graduates, so I'd love to hook up with some Vanderbilt fans or some non-Vanderbilt fans, SEC fans, um, for their real estate needs here in Nashville. But thanks for the opportunity. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. This will be one of many baseball podcasts this season. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week with more episodes of the game.